So good to be back with Calvary Chapel South. You guys have stood with us in prayer and giving for, oh, I don't know how many years, but maybe a couple decades. And so we're very thrilled to be able to be come back and be there, be with you. Kevin and I and Charlotte and my wife, Christine, we go back from before he started in ministry together. We were living in Nepal, and I think he joined us in maybe 88. Um, and so we got a chance to, to get to know Kevin and Charlotte in a way that probably most of you never have had the chance. We've we so enjoyed being with them. They're just such wonderful people, and uh, they were involved in teaching English uh, as a second language and also doing evangelism, building relationships, and together we, we got to serve the Lord. So what a joy it is to be back. Okay, it's me. Thank you. All right. This morning, we are going to look at the topic of following the call of God. Very simple topic, and yet a very important one. Let's start with a word of prayer as we begin our time. Lord, we thank you that today is the day of salvation. We thank you that today is the day when we can meet you again, when you can open our eyes and our ears to hear your words again. Lord, what a privilege it is that we have the word of life, that we have the word of life, Lord. We're so grateful, so, so grateful. And I pray, Lord, would you give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear and hearts that can understand your word. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Come and release your revelation to all of our hearts and help us to apply your word in our life situation. Help us to be doers of your word, to put it into practice and, and to, to honor you by being obedient to the things you've taught us in the word of God. So Lord, we give you the glory today. We just ask that all praise, honor, and glory would go to you and that you would minister here. Come Holy Spirit, Jesus Father, and just walk among us and just do what you want to do in our midst. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's turn to Psalms 90, verse 12. Paul said, uh, sorry, Mo Moses said in 90, verse 12, to teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We should be doing that. Numbering our days, valuing each breath that God gives us. Not taking for granted the time we have here on earth, but being good stewards of our talents, our strengths and gifts in using them for God's purposes. Moses wanted God to give him a heart of wisdom. Do we want that today? So he could give every moment of his life to God. 
so he would be enabled to follow the call of God. And we are to do the same, friends. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. And in these verses, we see God's heart for world evangelization. Just a few minutes ago, we had a little prayer. Uh, some of the leaders stood outside and prayed, and, and the leader challenged us, would you ask God for one person you can lead to the Lord this week? And I said, hallelujah, that was great. You see, each of us have a part to play in God's all people's kingdom purposes. As disciples, we are commanded to follow God's call for our lives to possess his promised land for our lives. Now, as I talk about promised land today, it just speaks of the things that God has prepared in advance for us to do or to inherit. And this concept of going after God's promised land for our lives is so clearly seen in the Old Testament. Because in God's story of redemption we see how he chose a people through whom he would send the Savior of the world. He called Israel out of Egypt, the land of slavery, and brought them to their promised land. So the question I have this morning is, where are we in following God's promised lands for our lives personally? Are we numbering our days, aiming to gain a heart of wisdom? Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You see, we are to use every opportunity that God gives us seeing every day as a chance to do what he's called us to do. David, the man after God's own heart, said this in Psalms 39, verse 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as a hand breaths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his very best is a mere breath. Oh, David. You see, David wanted to know the number of his days because he realized how fleeting life can be. So he asked God, show him his life's end. James, the apostle and brother of Jesus Christ, he said, our life is like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. It's gone. Friends, 
in the blink of an eye, everything that we think is so stable can change quickly because we do not know what God holds in the future. The truth was deeply impressed on us this past year, wasn't it? With the pandemic, COVID, mass, social distancing, all the schools closing, all many days, loss of jobs, economic challenges. We saw that so clearly. And this truth was impressed upon us as people in the lives of our families, in our communities, and really this truth was impressed upon the whole world. And this truth really hit home to me this last October when I was diagnosed with, with prostate cancer stage four. It came as a shock. I couldn't even re- believe that it was really happening. I didn't feel sick at all. But when the news came, so came the doctor's appointments, <laughs> the blood tests, the scans, the medications, and and as my medical diagnosis got out, God poured out on us his overwhelming blessing. Because people all over the world started contacting Christine and myself, saying that they were praying for God's healing. I remember the first day when I shared this news with my four kids, and they're all adults now. I have four kids and and seven grandkids, and it's like nobody really could believe it, including me, and I'm the one with cancer. Because during this amazing time, I received so many words of encouragement, scriptures, cards, offers to help, financial gifts. I received so much blessing, I felt overwhelmed, and we didn't know how to respond to the goodness expressed to us through God's people. You see, God's grace is so strong that we are still walking in that amazing peace because ultimately we know that he is in control and he is a good, good good God. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, with this new season of knowing that I have stage four cancer, came a renewed desire to complete the work which God had prepared in advance for, for us to do. So a fresh enthusiasm to finish my race well, to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I was thinking about what that great apostle Paul said. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. You see, following his call to the very end means having an attitude like that. This morning, we're going to look at the story of two tribes of Israel, 
who didn't follow the call of God to go in and possess their promised land. So you can turn with me in your devices or your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32. And I'll give you a little background to the story so you can place it in the chronological story of of biblical history. God has already taken the Israelites out of Egypt with great signs and wonders. They were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God did many amazing miracles. The parting of the Red Sea, supplying them with manna from heaven, water from a rock. He came down on Mount Sinai to meet his people with fire and lightning and and he gives them the Ten Commandments. Then the time came for God to give the Israelites their promised land. They came to the Jordan River, the border of the promised land, but out of fear, they refused to trust and obey God. And because of their disobedience, God judged Israel by not allowing them to enter his promised land. Instead, he made them wander around the desert for 40 years. Now, our story in Numbers 32 takes place just after that 40-year period is over. Okay, so the nation of Israel is on the east side of the Jordan River waiting for God's final command to cross the Jordan into their promised land. Let's, t- let's look at Numbers 32, verse 1 to 3. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all these words. Let's continue reading in Numbers 32, verse 4 and 5. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. Verse 5. They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So here's here's the picture. The tribes of the Reubenites and the Gadites come to Moses with a request. They said, hey, the land on the east side of the Jordan, which the Lord has already conquered, is very good. In fact, it's perfect for raising our livestock. Moses, can this be our promised land? Don't make us cross the Jordan. We want to settle here. Now, this seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it? But in order to understand it from God's point of view, let's look at how Moses reacted to their question. Numbers 32, verse 6 and 7. 
But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? Moses was clearly upset. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. Your brothers are gearing up for the battle of their lives and you want to settle down here and just stop? Build a nice little life for yourself on the east side of the Jordan River? You see, Moses realized that what they were proposing was to settle for an inheritance that God never intended them to take. An inheritance that was not a part of God's chosen promised land for Israel. You see, God's promised land was to be on the west side of the Jordan River. So what they really wanted was to just stop fighting and take life easy and live in a land that has, is good for our, past, for, our, for our livestock. They were basically saying, can't we just enjoy the victory, Moses, of the moment without continuing in the battle for all of God's promised land? I wonder if we ever say that today to ourselves. See, Moses knew that this request would deeply discourage the rest of the troops. The Israelites were preparing for the biggest challenge of their lives, the conquering of their enemies who were occupying their promised land on the west side of the Jordan River. To the driving out of seven nations bigger and stronger than Israel was itself. So Moses says, hey, why do you discourage the people from going over into the land? Now, the Hebrew word for discourage here is the word new. And what it means is to discourage or to hinder or hold back. Discourage, hinder, or hold back. And Moses says, you, Gad and Reuben, are doing the same things that our fathers did in Numbers 13 and 14. And then he begins to remind them of what happened 40 years earlier. Let's read verse 8 and 9. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol, that's when they first went out to spy out the land, and they saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel. So they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So think about this. Moses compares the Gadites and the Reubenites' request with what happened 40 years earlier when Israel first came to the border of the Promised Land. Now let's think back about what happened during that time. We know that Moses sends out the 12 spies and they go for 40 days and 40 nights and spy out the land and they come back with a big... Uh, uh, thing of grapes to show the people and 
But 10 of the spies come back and bring a negative report. They said, yeah, the land is good. But we saw giants in the land. If we try to take the land, we and our children could be killed. So when the people heard this, they were deeply discouraged, even filled with fear, and they decided to turn back to Egypt. The result of their refusal to trust and obey God was that he brought a devastating judgment upon that whole generation of men and women. Numbers 32, verse 10 and 11. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. For they did not follow me fully. Notice, they did not follow me fully. Verse 12 and 13. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. Some translations use wholeheartedly. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. So God, in his just anger, brought judgment by doing three things. And here's a slide on that, a judgment. First, he didn't allow them to go into their promised land. They came right up to it. They were all ready, but they couldn't go in. Number two, he made them wander around a desert on the east side of the Jordan for 40 more years. And number three, he annihilated that entire generation of men and women who were 20 years or older. And th this all happened because they refused to trust and obey God's loving plan to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, they chose fear rather than faith and decided to go back to the land of slavery. And Moses was saying to the Gadites and the Reubenites, you are proposing to do the same thing they did. Let's read verse 14 and 15, Numbers 32. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men. Notice what he calls them, a brood of sinful men. To add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away, notice what he says, turn away. So he's, he's implying this action could be turning away from God. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you, Gadites and Reubenites, will destroy all these people. See, Moses is angry. He calls them a group of sinners. He warns them that if they do not go over and fight, God will again leave this people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of of their judgment. 
Now, evidently, the two tribes listened to Moses and talked about what they should do. And so they came up with a new plan. Let's read about it in verse 16 and 17. Then they came near to him and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we've brought them to their place. While our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Verse 18 and 19. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side. Which side? The west side of the Jordan and beyond. Because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan toward the east. So the two tribes of Gad and Reuben propose to build places for their families here on the east side of the Jordan and then go ahead of the Israelites to fight with them on the west side of the Jordan for them to take over their promised land. And they said, we will not return here until every Israelite has received his inheritance. Now, this was a bold plan for them to come up with. For they must have counted the cost, realizing that some of them could be killed in battle. You see, these men were brave. They were taking a very real risk. They were not cowards. They were good men. But they were good men who were making a very bad mistake. Let's read verse 20 through 22. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, do what? Go over armed for battle ahead of them. If you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he's driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return And look what it says here. Read this. And be free of obligation towards the Lord and toward Israel. This land shall be yours for possession before the Lord. So what's happening? Moses agrees with their alternative plan. And says, if you do this, then you'll be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. You see, they were choosing their own plan over God's plan for their lives. And friends, God will never force us to follow his call, to do what's right in his eyes. He will push us towards his highest will, but will not take away our freedom of choice. And that is why we need to be careful to fully follow the the Lord wholeheartedly in every detail of life. So Moses goes on to say, if you fail to do this, fail what? If you don't go over after building the places for your families to live and the pens for your your livestock, if you don't go over, look what it says. Um, On the west, um, if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against God. Whoa. 
So the decision is made. They will fight with Israel for their promised land on the west side of the Jordan, but will receive their promised land here on the east side. So Moses gives orders to the leaders saying, if they cross over and fight, then give them the land of Gilead east of the Jordan. But look at Numbers 32, uh, verse 30. But if they will not cross over with you armed, they shall have possession shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Now, why did Moses say that? Because Canaan was God's intended promised land for all 12 tribes. Gad and Reuben were choosing their own promised land. Now, I want to give you three lessons we can learn from this story that I feel are very important. Number one. Never settle for a good inheritance when God has something much better. This is what happened with the tribes of Gad and Reuben. They compromised on their call in God. They saw that the land on the east side of the Jordan was good for grazing their livestock. So staying on this side of the Jordan was, humanly speaking, a good economic decision a good place to retire and raise their kids. You see, they felt contented to stop and not cross the Jordan into God's promised land. The battle for the land on the east side of the Jordan was over. The whole nation of Israel had fought bravely and conquered their enemies who were living there. The Gadites and the Reubenites wanted an inheritance that was outside of God's chosen promised land for all 12 tribes. And they didn't even care about going over to seeing what the land of west of the Jordan was looking like. You see, they were not fully, wholeheartedly following God. By choosing to live on the east, they were doing the same things that their forefathers had done um, during the days of uh, the spies in Numbers 13 and 14. They were turning away from God's call, not trusting God to bring them into his chosen promised land for their tribe. They were only thinking about their personal futures, not about the call of God upon them as a people. And friends, do we believe that God knows what is best for us? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, if we follow God's call, the result will be living an abundant, overflowing life. The Gadites and the Reubenites saw the land east of the Jordan as their final destination. But they should have seen it only as a stopping point on God's overall journey towards their promised land. You see, they chose their own inheritance rather than God's. They probably thought, hey, we paid our dues. We fought enough. Now it's time to take life easy. They had lost God's sense of destiny for the tribe and saw an opportunity to live the good life which was outside of the will of God. And friends, this can happen to you and me too. We can be tempted 
to settle for an inheritance that is good, but it's not God's best. Some of us have fought bravely against the powers of darkness for many years. We've defeated our giants. We've gained a good reputation, are respected by other fellow believers. And the enemy can come to us and say, isn't this land on the east side of the Jordan a good place for you to stop and retire? Wouldn't this be a good place to settle down, enjoy life? Friends, have you been tempted to feel content with where you're at in your life and your family and your work with God? Are you no longer interested in crossing the Jordan to fight against the next enemies of God? Have you found yourself looking for some place to kick back and take life easy, feeling that you've paid your dues? Now it's payback time for me. Contented to live in the glory of what God has already done through you, thinking you can sort of ride off into the sunset, the cowboy picture, with a good reputation and the favor of God. Friends, that's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie that leads to compromise. So we need to decide today that we will not settle for anything less than God's full promised land for our lives. Amen? Lesson number two. When we refuse to press into God's promised land for our lives, our actions can discourage our coworkers from pursuing their promised lands. That's what happened in the story. The Gadites and the Reubenites didn't want to keep fighting. They said, don't make us cross the Jordan. They wanted to settle in a land that was already conquered, a place which represented no real challenge to their faith. Moses said, if you stay here, you will discourage, you will hinder, you will hold back those who want to move ahead in faith. And when we refuse to trust and obey God, it not only affects us, it also affects those around us those we are called to work with and to share our common destiny together. And this was part of the sin that the Gadites and the Reubenites were about to commit against their brothers, but they didn't see it. They were blind to it. So we need to realize that when we choose not to trust God, it can hinder others from trusting God too. So lesson two, when we refuse to press into God's promised land for our lives, our actions can discourage our coworkers from pursuing their promised lands. Lesson number three, our choices today impact not only our own lives, but they can also influence the destinies of future generations. And this is what we see in the story in Numbers 32. Because these two tribes chose an inheritance outside of God's promised land for themselves. The Gadites and the Reubenites fulfilled what they said. They they built their houses and their pens, went with the other ones over to the west until they won the victory and came back. And they probably returned as heroes of the faith. And they were. were. These men were not cowards. They were brave soldiers. But their decision to live outside of God's chosen promised land set in motion a downward spiral 
that probably affected many generations after them. This one life-changing decision affected their future destiny because they made their mark in their generation. They came back as heroes. But after that time, they disappeared from history. In fact, we hear nothing more from them in the biblical account. In 1 Chronicle 5, we find out that they were unfaithful to God. And they followed the gods of the peoples around them. And that they were the first two tribes of Israel to be taken into captivity by the king of Assyria. Which means they had no long-term influence into the nations around them. You see, they lost their chance to partner with God to change the world. And friends, our decisions today affect our future tomorrow. Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 15, See, I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversary. Well, that's a no-brainer. We want life and prosperity. We don't want death and adversity. Then he goes on to say, then choose life. And you and your family may live under God's blessings. You see, our decisions today can influence the next generation. So let's make a decision, decisions and choices that bring about a legacy of blessing. Let's not be like the Gadites and the Reubenites who chose to settle down and live the good life. Their actions resulted in them no longer being on the cutting edge of what God was doing. They were compromising and following the call of God and that will always affect our destiny negatively. But if we come in faith and go on to possess our promised land, it will affect our destiny destiny positively. So we need to understand that today's choices can affect tomorrow's future. So let's make good decisions where we're choosing life and not death, blessing rather than curses. Amen? So where are you? Calvary Chapel South? On your journey towards God's promised land for your life. Are you at the Jordan River? getting ready to take the greatest challenge that you ever faced? Are you ready to keep moving on for God? Ready to take on the next giant? In the year 2000, Christine, my wife, and I had been living in Nepal at that time. We had already been there for 17 years as missionaries. One day, I was summoned into the immigration office and told that I was being kicked out of the country for the second time because I was running an illegal Christian organization. We were shocked by this news and started praying, asking God what to do. At that time, our four kids were all young, ages between 6 and 14, so they were all in school. And our life as we had known it was completely turned upside down. We knew that God was not done with us, so we began to look for a new place to live and continue following the call of God. God led us to Uti, South India, where we had never been before. We ended up living there 12 years. We packed up our house, 
our lives and our everything we had, said goodbye to our friends and co-workers, and we moved by faith from Nepal to southern part of India to continue the calling that God had given me to reach the unreached of the South Asian countries. This one life-changing decision, not to leave the mission field at this point, but to relocate our base of operation, set the stage for God's blessing upon our family and our ministry. God began to open new doors of influence and opportunity to serve him internationally. He gave us new friends, a home, place where we felt loved, wanted, accepted. You see, we should never stop following God's call. No matter what life brings your way, whether it's economic collapse or sickness or cancer, it doesn't matter. If you're looking around today for something else to do because you're tired of this God thing, or if you're thinking about kicking back and taking life easy, making some real money, if your focus is only on your future and not on the future of God's kingdom, then you too, my friends, could be tempted to quit following God's call for your life. So let's not, be, let's not just be concerned about our own families. Instead, let's be concerned about God's family, the Church of Jesus Christ International. Let's not just be thinking about our own little world. Let's think about God's world, the whole world, that he died. He sent his son, and he died on a cross for them. And we can do that by recommitting ourselves to follow God's call to the very end. So if you're struggling in faith and are thinking about stopping on the east side of the Jordan, if you won your battle and now you're contemplating to settle down and focus on the good life, living the American dream, then know this. God is still wanting you to be his ambassadors here, near, and far. To dream his dream of kingdom expansion. To bring his good news to every tribe, language, people, and nation. To push back the powers of darkness of this world. You see, the enemy, he wants to pull us away from our callings, to cause us to be a source of discouragement to our friends and our coworkers. He wants to rob us and our children from receiving God's full promised land for our lives. He wants to stop our godly influence over future generations by appealing to our pride. We must be committed to follow God's call on our lives to the very end. So let's remember those three lessons. One, never settle for anything good when God is something much better. Two, when we refuse to press into God's promised land for our lives, our actions can discourage our coworkers, our friends from pursuing their promised land. And three, our choices today not only impact our own lives, but they can also influence the destiny of future generations. So let's pray the prayer of Moses for 2021. Teach us to number 
our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let us press hold to take, press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. Remembering that if we endure to the end, God will reward us with an eternity with him in heaven. Let's remember what Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we do not give up. So let's keep following the call of God into the promised land he has for us. So that one day, we can say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love disappearing. You see, friends, one day we're going to go to be with the Lord like we sang about today in the worship. And one day we're going to get a chance to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So friends, it's so, so important that we follow the call of God. So I want to pray for you, but I want to pray for you in three ways. Number one, I want to pray for those today who don't know Jesus. You're among us. You don't know Jesus. You know you need to know Jesus. You want to know what that call of God is. I want to pray for you that through repentance and asking him into your life, today you can begin following the call. The second way I want to pray for you is for those who do know God. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You do know God, but you realize you're not actively following the call of God in your walk with the Lord. Well, repent. Repent because God is here to restore and to even clarify his vision about what he's called for you to do. And the third group I want to pray for is those who have followed the call of God for many years. For many years have been faithful and worked. But the light that was once in them, it, the flame is burning dully. And they're finding their they don't have the same passion they had, and they, they need renewal, renewal. So I'm going to pray for all three groups right now. Join me in prayer. Father, I pray for those today who do not know Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that today they would give their lives to you, surrender all, ask you to forgive them, and walk out of this place as a son or daughter of the king. Lord, I pray for those who have been Christians. And as they think about this, they realize the Holy Spirit is pricking their hearts, saying, you're not really following my call. You're not really going after your personal promised land. And I want you to do that today. I pray wherever they are, that you just minister courage and boldness to follow the call. And Lord, I want to pray for those who have been faithful servants for many years. 
and the, the burning passion has grown dim and they need a, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, would you just energize them with your anointing? Would you just bless them so that they could follow the call of God to their very last breath? Lord, we do say we love you today. We stand here, we sit here in your presence, and we say, Lord, we want to go to your promised land. Teach us how to do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.